The father of us all loves his children more than we can ever imagine. In Isaiah 63:16b, it says, You, O Lord, are our father. So what exactly does a father in God's eyes look like? Since we are created in God's image, I would think then we would be safe to assume that a good father should desire to have characteristics that are like God in his nature. Our society, and especially media, has been very cutting to the role of man for the last decade or more. I look at shows like Home Improvement, Everyone Loves Raymond, and many others, where the men are really made fun of and often humiliated, or at least come off like a dunce in the family. In most of these shows, the father is not respected by the children because the father is shown as one who makes some very poor choices and decisions and oftentimes chooses the fun things in life over his responsibility as a husband and a father. These stereotypes and many other jokes, television shows, and movies in their own way make many puns at the roles of men in our society, often degrading their roles as leaders in the home. After a lot of exposure to this, how easy it is for many of us to fall into those same habits of talk. If we do not guard ourselves from those types of conversations, and if we do not look to the biblical example of what a father should be, our families will continue down a road of destruction. I am speaking to all of you. It is important that we protect and guard the roles that we have been called to. If you are a single parent, then many of these roles will cross over to you. As wives and children, we must encourage and support our husbands and fathers in prayer. As a church body, we must also support and encourage those single mothers and fathers. I don't really think any of us realize the important role that we play in the future of our children, not just this generation, but generations to come. I'd like to take a look at the next slide that talks about the statistics, and this is just of the father's effect on church involvement. This was taken from some surveys published by Touchstone Magazine in June 2003. First it says, if both father and mother attend church regularly, 33% of children will be regular churchgoers, and 41% will attend irregularly. Second, if only the mother attends regularly and the father attends sporadically, only 3% of children will become regular churchgoers and 59% will attend irregularly. Now look at how it changes when it's the father taking the leadership role. If a father attends regularly but the mother doesn't attend, 44% of children will become regular attenders. When neither parent practices their faith, only 4% of children will become regular attenders and 15% will attend occasionally. In other words, without mom or dad's regular participation, 80% of children will drift from the faith. And yet we have people out there that are saying they're not going to take their children to church because they're going to let them decide when they become old enough. We are the examples, people. I'd also like to read a, a quote and I did put it up on the screen just because there's a lot to it, but 
If any of you are familiar with um, James Ryle, he's co-founder of Promise Keepers, which we haven't heard as much about Promise Keepers in the last few years, but it was uh, a big thing, and it still is here. But he wrote this in his book that I've been reading that's called Released from the Prison My Dad Built. And I quote, A father's influence in his children's life is powerful and inevitable, whether for good or for bad. A dad who mistreats or neglects a trusting child and the strike upon that tender soul is as solid and lasting as building iron bars in a prison. A cruel word spoken in anger, a nickname given in jest, a rebuke blurted out in public, or a cold shoulder in a time of need. These mindless acts of senseless dads forge the framework of solitary confinement for boys and girls the world over. And the vicious cycle repeats as these wounded children become broken parents with welding torches in the hands, passing on the torment to yet another generation of unsuspecting kids. Now that son used the words welding torches and prison bars because he actually was in the prison that his dad had been in a prison before and at that time his dad was hired, or not hired, but they put the jailers to work and his dad was the one using the welding torch to make the bars for that prison that he ended up in years later. But I thought it was a good story of how we do verbally, physically, emotionally, we can build those same prisons for our children or we can release them. One of the first things I believe is important in a father's life is to be faithful. Faithful, first of all, to God, then to his wife and family, his community and world. Therefore, I have chosen the word, the word faithful to re represent the F in father. <clears throat> in Deuteronomy 7, 9, it says, Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. What a promise. Fathers, you lead by example. Let's look at Genesis 12, 11 through 13. It says, As he, Abraham, was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife? Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Here, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were traveling through the land of Egypt, which was inhabited by people who had no regards of God. Because Sarah was so beautiful, Abraham was concerned that perhaps the Egyptians would kill him so that they could take Sarah, so Abraham asked Sarah to lie. The men then welcomed Abraham, and they took Sarah to be one of Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's concubines. God mercifully intervened by disturbing Pharaoh with a frightening dream. Sarah was returned to Abraham, and they were both asked to leave. Abraham, however, did this again in the land of Gerar. I guess he, like many of us, did not learn to trust, but once again, God intervened. However, some 20 years later, Isaac, Abraham's son, did the exact same thing, in the exact same place, for the exact same reason, like father, like son. 
Another example was Samuel, a prophet of Israel who lived with Eli the priest. Eli had two sons who were very unruly and were misusing their priestly rights. And the slide says, Eli's son were wicked men. They had no regards for the Lord. The sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. However, they were acting as priests. They were in Eli's family. Eli's sons were sinning by taking any part of the sacrifice they wanted and demanding the meat immediately before the part was consecrated to the Lord. They did their priestly duty with irreverence and disrespect. These sons of Eli did many more disrespectful things, even though Eli talked to them. And another man of God, we'll look at that slide, in 1 Samuel <laughs> excuse me, 2, 28 and 29, this man of God said this. He said, I chose your father, which is speaking, he's prophesying. I chose your father out of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn? And one Bible uses the word kicks at my sacrifice and offerings that I prescribed for my dwelling. Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves in the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? He was doing the same thing by not dealing with his sons. Eli had warned his sons of divine judgment, but he had never really rebuked them for their sin. By neglecting his parental duty, he was, in effect, favoring his sons above God, just like the last verse says. Oddly enough, years later, Samuel himself had two unruly sons whose behavior was so deplorable that Israel refused to permit either one of them to receive the mantle of leadership from their father. So even though Eli was not Samuel's son, he was not a blood father, he was the one that he learned from, and since he never handled his sons, Eli didn't correctly, Samuel did not have the example and did not handle his sons correctly either. Father, you need to be faithful, faithful to our God and Father first, so that you will be leading your children down the right path. There will be times when you must not just warn, but you must rebuke. And you must remember that you are accountable to God for your children. You are accountable to God for your children. It is a big responsibility and one which needs to always be bathed in prayer. Spent a long time on F. The rest aren't that long. A is for attentive. Probably the most familiar story to all of us that I picked out for attentive is David, the man after God's own heart, the great warrior king. He fell into a lustful affair with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband to cover it up. His choices unleashed trouble in his lineage. Nathan the prophet told him in 2 Samuel 12:10, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be his own. 
We can see in his children it, this was true. Solomon, David and Bathsheba's child, was a man so emotionally insecure, although he was known for his wisdom, he was so emotionally insecure it took thousands of women to satisfy him, and even that wasn't enough. Another of David's sons, Amnon, loved his sister Tamar and raped her, then despised her. And although King David heard these things and was angry, which I think is the next slide, Lisa. In 2 Samuel 13, 21, it says, when King David heard all this, he was furious. He still did nothing. He was angry, but he did nothing. So instead, another brother, Absalom, killed Amnon for what he had done to Tamar. If David had been attentive to his children and not just angry within himself, he would have found a way to discipline or punish Amnon so that both Tamar and Absalom would have had some resolve. Fathers and mothers, we must be attentive. We must discipline in a loving but sometimes very firm way. We must be both attentive to our children's needs, to their talents, and yet we must also discipline and reproof as fathers and mothers, for we are the example. T is for trustworthy. I found it interesting, the synonyms, not the, the synonyms so interesting, but the antonym. Let's look at the synonyms. Dependable, reliable, responsible, truthful, honest, constant, honorable, and upright. But the antonym is corrupt. If we're not being trustworthy, are we being the opposite? Are you a father who is trustworthy? Do you keep your promises? Are you always honest to your children and constant in that they know that you will be there for them? In Psalm 9:10 it says, And they that know the name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Jehovah, has not forsaken them that seek thee. God is our example. We need to be trustworthy. Our God is trustworthy and does not forsake us. He keeps his promises. H is for hardworking and heart. Proverbs 10.16 says, The way, wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Fathers and mothers, we need to be hardworking but have a heart. We must recognize times that are important to take a break from work, to spend with our children, or to teach them how to work alongside of us, yet at a different pace when they are learning. Much of our society today does not strive to teach children responsibility, accountability, and hard work. But just as hard work is important for children to see, so is the heart of the work. In Colossians 3, 23 and 24, under the heading in the Bible, it says, Rules for Christian Households. This is what it reads. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord you are serving. If we can keep in mind at all times, it's not what we're going to have here because that will pass away. I could die today. You could die today. We don't know. Everything we have can be gone in a moment. But whatever we do, if we're working at it with all of our heart, as if we're working for the Lord, are you working to make money? 
and become more well-known in your job? Are you a workaholic or are you working as for the Lord? Being where he has called you to be, maybe making less money, maybe not even known about, but you're being where God has called you to be, doing what he has called you to do. Remember that you want your children to know that material things will pass away. But the love of the Lord and of you as a parent remains forever. E is for encouraging. When you think back to the statistics that I showed at the beginning, you see the difference that a father can make on church attendance of his children. Imagine the impact that a father has on every other aspect of their life. Our Heavenly Father encourages us by his word, and he tells us in Galatians 4, 5 through, through 7, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit will call out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. We have those rights. We want our children to be encouraged and know how much we love them, that they are our sons and our daughters, that we are proud of them, that we desire for them to know our Lord and Savior, that we desire for God's will in their life. In Isaiah 41, 9 and 10, and here he's talking to Jacob and the descendants of Abraham, and he said, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected or cast away you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God chooses us. Fathers, are you encouraging your children and their God-given talents? Are you reminding them how precious they are to you as children and to God? We must all be very careful to not encourage children in things that we think they should do or would be good at. We need to be praying that God will help us to see what his will is for our children what their gift is that he's given them, and encourage them in that path. Remember, too, that we learn from mistakes. To encourage a child to press on when they have failed is when you're teaching them godly characteristics like perseverance. R is for relational. In the very beginning, Genesis 1:27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And Genesis 2.18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God is a relational God. When people ask me if I'm a religious, I say, No, I don't believe in religion. I believe in relationship. A relationship with our Savior, a relationship with our family. In the same ways, Father, it's important to make sure that you are building that relationship with your children. Are you taking time each day to just talk with them or play with them? Are you letting them know by your affection, 
your time, your response, and your attitude that you really care about them? I often think of a saying of Joyce Myers that's something like this. I can't quote it exactly, but just as you don't become a car because you go in the garage, you don't become a Christian by going to church. In the same way, parental relationships are not just there because you are, they are your blood or adopted child. Relationships are built from the inside out. Looking at the heart like God does and then listening. Make it your goal to be relational, vertically with your heavenly father and horizontally with your children. Whether people from the Bible or people of today, the sins of the fathers are indeed visited upon their children to the third and fourth generations. I'm sure you can think of people. You may be one of them. However, we must also remember that God shows mercy unto thousands of them who love him, not just two or three generations, but thousands of them who love him and hear his commandments. Fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers, we can all break the cycles of generational sins or traits, but we must seek God and deal with the situation. We must seek forgiveness, seek truth, and remember what God says to Jeremiah. <laughs> I think it should be the next slide. Nope, sorry, Lisa. I maybe forgot to put it in. Okay, before you saw the light of day, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This applies to you, your children, and your children's children for a thousand generations. Some of you out there have not had a good parent or good parental relationships. If this is the case, I want to remind you and everyone that God is the God of the fatherless. And his name is on the line each time a child is forsaken by his or her parents. Forsake means to loose and to let go, to leave exposed and thereby permit anything to happen. It is the ultimate act of parental irresponsibility. But the Lord does not stand by indifferently when parents drop the ball. He takes up the discarded kids, one and all. If any of you have ever been or felt forsaken by a parent, remember that God is there to take you up, that you have great value to him, and that he is the father of us all. Remember, fathers, to be faithful to God first and then your family. Attentive, trustworthy, hardworking with heart, encouraging, and relational. Before I close in prayer, I'd like to read some instructions from Proverbs. It's what I had Sue read at the beginning. Um, I had asked her to read 9 too, and 9, the she is referring to wisdom is, is the she. But it starts out, listen, my son. Accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom, and I lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. It is up to you, fathers, to know God, to know his word, his wisdom, 
and to teach it to your children. And I want to add, it's never too late. God doesn't give up on us. So if we haven't been doing this and our children are grown, it's never too late. Now I would like to ask the fathers and men to stand. And I would like everyone that is close to any of these men or fathers to go and just put a hand on them. So who's ever close by, if somebody doesn't have anyone close to them, just put your hand on them. Jim, you're a man. I know that you help in the raising of many children. Nolan, you're close enough. You can stand. Okay, so I should see some hands on all these men around us. Casey doesn't have anybody. Oh, yep, sorry, she's sleeping. All right. Now, I would like you to just pray with me as I pray for them. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would cover these fathers and men with your love, that you would help them to become on fire for you and for being the leaders in their home and families. I pray, Lord, that you would touch their lives every day with the joy of family and children that you would deepen their desire for you and for what you have ahead in their lives. I pray that the men would take back their territory and not allow society to degrade them as fathers and leaders. I pray that these men would guide their homes and our country in godly paths. Bless the wives and children also and help them all to be willing and active servants for you. Amen. <laughs>